Good afternoon. It's Monday the uh, 9th. 9th. Thank you for that, Mike. Monday the 9th of November 2020, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish, and we're delighted to be joined by David Scott, bringing us northern exposure from north of the border. The days are going so quickly under COVID lockdown, Mike, that it's hard to keep track of them. Yeah, that's completely understandable. Well, look, we're going to get started with uh, GCHQ. This is an exclusive in The Times, allegedly GCHQ and cyber war on anti-vaccine propaganda. So the article saying GCHQ has become an uh, begun an offensive cyber operation to disrupt anti-vaccine propaganda being spread by hostile states. Uh, the spy agency is using a toolkit developed to tackle disinformation and recruitment material peddled by Islamic State. According to sources, uh, it's the latest move by cyber agents to counter activity linked to Moscow, uh, whose aim is to exploit the pandemic in order to undermine the West and boost Russian interests. A government source told The Times GCHQ has been told to take out anti-vaxxers uh, online and on social media, take out anti-vaxxers online and on social media. Uh, well, they're, they're taking out elderly people in lockdown, Mike. They're dying in tens of thousands, so I don't see why a few more of us shouldn't under the rules. Okay, uh, there are ways they've been used to monitor and disrupt terrorists. Sorry, they're, they're yeah, well, that's a bit of a strange quote, but anyway, to monitor and disrupt terrorist propaganda. So uh, they... Times saying that the that this will involve the takedown of websites, taking down uh, content linked to hostile states, and the distribution, uh, the disruption, sorry, of the actors behind the fake news. Uh, they're going to attempt to do this by encrypting the state's own data so they cannot, so that Russia and so on can't access it, and by blocking communications between hostile groups. So, in other words, they are going to prevent freedom of information. Uh, and to uh, protect us, to though. protect it us, is yes. to protect us. Yes, that's the important uh, And they're thing. going to increase the censorship agenda. So um, the slightly hilarious aspect of this uh, was this, because of course this particular uh, image of Boris dressed up as a, uh, I don't know what he is there, but uh, certainly planet big, of the apes comes yeah, well, to my mind. Big, doesn't it's it? Bigfoot, of course. It's, 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 it's in the text. I should have realised that. But anyway, uh, Boris dressed up as Bigfoot there. Uh, this meme is being put at the doorstep of the Russians uh, because apparently, uh, according to the Daily Mail at least, um, a Russian news program, which is like the Russian equivalent of Newsnight, uh, included this image in a report and therefore it's a Russian image. Right. Yes. Anyway, so uh, David, uh, before we move on, let me welcome you to the program and say, uh, are we not a bit tired of the same old rhetoric from the British government uh, that it's all Russia? Well, yes, but it's getting more bizarre because this is Russia and Islamic State. Moscow was obviously fighting against the Islamic State. We're meant to think they're all friends and they're cunningly plotting to ask searching questions about vaccine safety. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely absurd. Uh, well, they're not they're not drawing uh, parallel links between the two. They're saying that they're using the tools that they've used in the past to disrupt Islamic State. But of course, they haven't used tools in the past to disrupt Islamic State at all, because uh, the, uh, the the or at least those associated with Islamic State and other Al Qaeda outlets, because of course they're being promoted by uh, Western PR agencies. But anyway, we don't need to worry uh, because. According to General Sir Nick Carter, 77 Brigade is helping. Um, so 77 Brigade is helping, and so is the uh, counter disinformation unit within the Cabinet Office. Um, so that's all good stuff. Just say, Mike, is that a recent photo of him? Yesterday, yes. Yeah, so he, he's looking very tired. Um, I think he's a busy man, yeah. Well, he's a busy man, political wheeling and dealing, because we don't, at the moment, have um, we don't have any structured UK defence. He's into political wheeling and dealing and COVID and spying on the public. Uh, looking very tired. I think he's being put under the thumb to follow the policy. Well, it's, it's interesting that you mention that, because uh, there's a, an article just about to go on the UK column website, probably tomorrow, uh, which will go into quite a bit of depth into what he's planning for UK defence at the moment. But nonetheless, 77 Brigade helping, as is the counter disinformation unit in the Cabinet Office. Uh, and uh, well, what are they helping with? Well, they're helping uh, to bully Facebook, Google and Twitter into pulling uh, stuff off. So uh, digital 
Secretary Oliver Dowden and the Health Secretary Matt Hancock have agreed with social media platforms new measures to limit the spread of vaccine misinformation and disinformation and help people find the information they need about any COVID-19 vaccine. Um, so they held a virtual roundtable uh, yesterday uh, to address the growth of vaccine disinformation. Facebook, Twitter and Google all attended and they committed to certain principles. So let's have a brief look at what principles they have committed to. Uh, here's the first one, to commit to the principle that no user or company should directly profit from COVID-19 vaccine mis disinformation. This removes an incentive for this type of content to be promoted, produced and circulated. Okay, uh, the next one, to ensure a timely response to mis disinformation content flagged to them by the government. Ah, so, so the government says and the next minute it's gone. It's gone, yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, and to continue to work with public health bodies to ensure that authoritative measures about vaccine safety reach as many people as possible. So we make sure you uh, absolutely destroy any counter narrative and you amplify the government narrative and the health department narrative. And um, we spoke to Cornwall NHS Trust earlier uh, today, which we're going to bring into the news and we'll be able to look at those two points back to back. Okay, and uh, then finally, uh, to join new policy forums over the coming months to improve responses to mis disinformation uh, and to prepare for future threats. Uh, David, I'm not entirely sure what the definition of mis disinformation is. I don't think any of this can be done because we know from the BBC slipping up and telling the truth accidentally that they actually prohibit any counter narrative being discussed. They do not engage with people who raise questions about vaccine safety or vaccine efficacy, right? It's safe and effective. And if you say otherwise, you're basically banned from the BBC. So if they, if they refuse to engage, if they refuse to discuss, they refuse to debate, we can imagine why that might be, then they can't actually tackle what they're calling disinformation other than by trying to ban it, right? It's, it's, a, it's a very crude weapon. It's deplatforming. They have no argument. They, we must conclude, since they're unable to argue, it's because they cannot answer the point. Uh, that's uh, absolutely the case. Now let's uh, let's see what Oliver Dowden, who is of course the digital secretary, had to say. Uh, he said, "This COVID disinformation is dangerous and could cost lives." And I found that quite an ironic statement, since it is the government that's pushing out the vast majority of COVID disinformation that exists. Uh, and it has indeed cost lives as a result of the lockdown and people's response to that COVID disinformation. And if anybody's uh, thinking that's a very unfair statement, uh, well, of course, uh, we've got to just remember, was it only two weeks ago that the Choco brothers uh, themselves were presenting the uh, reasonable worst case scenario to the world, which they've already had to walk back from because uh, the numbers were too big. Um, so they've had to, already had to come back from that. So that initial uh, release was clearly disinformation or misinformation. Um, but aside from that, uh, you know, the number of people that have or the, the if we think back to the early days of this, the, the UK column was the, uh, you know, covered the spy B releases. Uh, they were absolutely admitting and in fact requiring that the government use disinformation and misinformation in order to drive fear uh, within the population in order to justify uh, the measures that were going to be uh, put in place. Yeah. So the British government, the biggest uh, source of misinformation and disinformation, and it has cost lives, as Brian said a second ago. Uh, then, uh, of course, we have uh, the wonderful Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, who said that after clean water, vaccination is the most effective public health intervention in the world and has saved countless lives across the globe, eradicating one disease entirely. Okay, there you go. Well, look, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, and Google uh, have quite are quite clearly happy to move ahead with what the government is asking from them. Uh, in fact, they have been since the beginning of this whole censorship agenda. Uh, and if you want to know more and get some background information on this, uh, we have a section on the UK Column website called Censored. It's just ukcolumn.org/slash/censored. Um, and uh, there's a timeline on there that shows the last few years of how we got to this point. Uh, it takes us right up to the publication of the Online Harms uh, white paper uh, and this, these latest 
uh, announcements of GCHQ involved in a cyber war uh, to counter disinformation and also the uh, what we've just covered there, uh, just an extension of that. Yeah. Now that takes us then to uh, to a school in Liverpool, David. Yes, last week this uh, this letter um, was put out by Broad Green International School, a, te a technology college in Liverpool, um, to all of the parents, and uh, it hit the internet. And the reason it hit the internet is uh, one of these paragraphs reads as follows. Under normal circumstances, this is this is regarding um, COVID testing. So they're, they're they're rolling out COVID testing into the school for well, well, children. Sorry, David. Just just before you read that particular paragraph, let's read this one because this is uh, equally important. I've met this afternoon with representative representatives of the British Army, who will be in school next week to COVID nineteen uh, test all our students and staff. Each child and adult will be identified with a unique barcode to ensure personal identification of test and subsequent results. Uh, and then it comes on to the, uh, the section that you were talking about under normal circumstances. Yes, under normal circumstances, parental permission is sought for testing of children. However, under these very challenging and unprecedented circumstances, that is not possible. Therefore, we would ask that if you wish to exclude your child from this test, please do so in writing to me first thing on Monday morning. So you have a, a, a one morning window to opt out. Um, otherwise, consent is assumed um, for the testing and barcoding of your children by the army. Uh, this didn't go down tremendously well with the parents or with uh, the wider population on social media. And in fact, there was a big pushback. Um, and uh, I had a little look at this, the website for the school. It's, it's a very nice school in many ways. But I did see that they were doing, uh, once a year only, one day a year, um, British Values Day. And uh, we have here their, uh, an extract from their website. Um, and it's, it's teaching the Year 7 pupils about British values, including individual liberty. So perhaps it was one of the Primary 7 pupils that had a word with the head, with the head of the school and said, I'm not quite sure that this is really on because there was a bit of bit of backtracking over the weekend and they put out a slightly different position statement uh, on the 8th, which was Sunday. Um, it said, we are uh, awaiting updated information on plans of COVID-19 at Liverpool schools. Consent will explicit be, explicitly be sought from parents. So that's a complete reversal. So we're going from uh, an assumed consent to uh, explicitly uh, seeking consent from parents, which is good. Um, and then this letter, uh, this notice said, click here for a letter to parents from Liverpool City Council and a consent form. Okay. So I clicked on the letter from Liverpool City Council and it did indeed talk about consent, but there was something slightly funny about it. It said, we ask that you and your child discuss this to see if this testing is something you would like to participate in. If consent asterisk is given, pupil, pupils will be tested twice over a period of about 10 days for COVID-19 as part of a national pilot. The results will be fed into the NHS track and trace. Individual results will also be held by the school and provided directly to you. So... Why has consent got an asterisk? Because we, we all know what consent means. It means express voluntary individual informed consent. It means consent. No, it doesn't. Um, down the bottom of the page, uh, head teacher Ms. P. Towney said, further information regarding consent can be found at the NHS website and the CQC website. Now, these two bits of text are highlighted and underlined and highlighted in blue and look like hyperlinks, but in fact they're not. They were just plain text. So there was it didn't take you anywhere. And if you go to the NHS website and you type in consent, there's over a hundred articles come up saying all sorts of things. So you wouldn't know what the definition was. The CQC is even worse, it's over 300. So what this is, this is smoke. Um, smoke's a tactical device to conceal movement. 
The reason that they're, they're telling you there's another definition to consent is that they're changing the definition, maybe a little, maybe a lot. We can't actually find out at the moment what they think consent means, but it means something slightly different from what it says in the Oxford English Dictionary. So um, well, well, we're still not absolutely sure what the position is. Uh, well, I, I believe the position is, David, and this happened a, a few years ago, I believe that the position is that, that with respect to, to things like vaccination and, and health, um, once you're 13, you can give consent without your parents needing to approve. Um, and so uh, I would imagine that is the type of consent that she is referring to. Even even uh, the, the figure of 13 is, is too crystal clear because the... the the consent can be given whatever the, the child is deemed to be able to give consent. So if the, the medic thinks, or the, in this case, the army medic or army um, soldier thinks that the child uh, is capable of giving consent, then that's, that's consent. That's a Gillick consent. Um, and the parent wouldn't necessarily be told. And the parent may have expressly forbidden this uh, procedure and said expressly that it was not to happen. And it might still happen. We've covered that on Northern Exposure with an interview with a lady from, from Cornwall where just that scenario took place. So it's very vague. There's no hard and fast age rule in any event. And uh, the only thing that a parent can do really is make sure the children are very well warned about what to do if anyone approaches them with a needle. Yeah, David, can we just we just say you've said it seems like a, a nice school in other ways. I would imagine that that head teacher, Miss Towie, is under enormous pressure because she's going to be getting uh, a ton of COVID stuff coming through the education authority. She's going to be worried about what the local council is talking about. She's going to get other communications uh, coming down from local government association or whatever it is, her head is going to be in a spin and she's going to tend to go for what she perceives is the most safe option. And invariably now that's going to be following government policy uh, because she's protecting or thinks she's protecting the well-being of the child. And of course, she's protecting herself by siding with the government and therefore the local education authority. So this is where the real damage is coming, that people are no longer thinking for themselves. She's going to be deciding which policy to follow. Is that unkind, do you think? No, this, this is a very good point, because the, the, the head teacher will be A, swamped, B, unless she's following news outlets such as this one, probably doesn't have a coherent counter-narrative to actually uh, develop and actually put forward. And if she argues too strongly against the official line, it will be her career, her job. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the pressure that will be brought from inside the education authority will be enormous. I think we have to have a great deal of sympathy for the individual human beings who find themselves in these positions. But that, of course, does not ex ex excuse in any way the actions which amount to organising assault against schoolchildren. Yes. Well, I wanted to just raise that to get us thinking about what, what might be in somebody's head as they react to what the government is pumping out to do with COVID. A lot of people sent me this article, which is Daily Mail. Richard Littlejohn, uh, we're not going to take it anymore. You can sleep with your wife, but you can't play tennis with her. You can shoot ducks, but you can't feed them. Boffins scare us with graphs and then change, uh, then change them. So this was a, a Daily Mail article and it was prompted actually as a result of a very courageous um, care assistant, NHS care assistant in Cornwall speaking out, uh, resigning and saying so publicly on the basis that she said that the Cornwall NHS Trust was effectively lying over what was happening to do with, uh, with COVID. Uh, we're going to have a look at the video clip in a minute, but let's have a look at what Richard Littlejohn had to say during the article, because we get a fantastic look inside his mind. Let's go. So here we are. Frankly, I'd rather believe the word of a care assistant like Shelley Tasker than the horror stories peddled by government advisors Chris Whitty and Patrick Valance, the two Ronnies of doom 
Now, you were a bit upset about that, Mike, because you thought that was a bit unkind on the two Ronnies and the Chuckle Brothers was a much better description. But isn't this interesting? We've got a very well-known uh, UK journalist now saying that he believes the care assistant more than he believes the two uh, Chuckle Brothers, Chris um, Whitty and Patrick Vallance. The graphs they presented on Halloween and used to bounce Boris Johnson into ordering another lockdown were, quote, wildly exaggerated and have subsequently been revised downwards under cover of darkness, or as Shelley Tasker would say, all lies. So that's a, a pretty crunchy statement, but the article's very long and it goes on. They talk about an explosion of cases without explaining exactly what that means. It's a fact, not a projection, that 99.5% of people who contract coronavirus recover from it. Many don't even display symptoms. So now we can see that actually he is paying attention to what's coming out, the statistics, and he's not convinced about it. The two Ronnies and their dupes in government continue to pretend we're all in mortal danger. Even the official UK Statistics Authority have confirmed we have, quote, been deliberately misled. So this is getting serious stuff now that's coming out from him. And he goes on. The use of data has not consistently been supported by transparent information being provided in a timely manner. As a result, there is potential to confuse the public and undermine confidence. All lies. And the all lies there is his. He has inserted that into the text. The list of what's allowed and what isn't is a catalogue of sheer insanity. For instance, you can shoot ducks, but you can't feed them. You can sleep with your wife or husband, but you can't play tennis with them. Marks and Sparks can sell you a prawn sandwich, but not a pair of socks. And knickers are non-essential on the high street, but freely available on the internet. So he's really getting stuck in here. And each point is a key point, which is showing that he can recognise, he can recognise the confusion. But it goes into a new area. Needless to say, the rules are being enforced with Stalinist zeal by the boys in blue. Police forces which constantly plead poverty and can't be bothered to patrol the streets or respond to burglaries appear to have no trouble summoning up the heavy mob at the drop of a helmet to com confront COVID transgressors. And he adds that in Greater Manchester, Chief Constable Ian Hopkins is appealing for people to, quote, grass up their neighbours if they suspect they're having friends or family over during lockdown. And he qualifies this by saying this is a sinister abuse of power reminiscent of life in Stasi-controlled communist East Germany portrayed chillingly in the movie The Lives of Others. This is how freedom dies. And uh, he's saying this about Shelley. Um, for every Shelley tasker howling at the moon in Truro, there are millions of us seething away quietly at the institutionalised ineptitude of this government's imposition of yet another ruinous lockdown. So if we summarise this, these are the words that he's used. He said that we've been deliberately misled. He says that what's being presented to the public is all lies. He says it's a catalogue of sheer insanity, that it's a sinister abuse of power reminiscent of Stasi-controlled communist East Germany. But then towards the end, he's describing it as institutionalised ineptitude. And I just want to put a banner over this lot and say what we're seeing is that this journalist who's been around for many years he's he must be a pretty wise guy he's seen a lot he's reported on it but he can't get his head around the fact that the policy locking us in our homes killing off the elderly destroying the nhs and the economy of the uk he particularly warns about the millions of jobs lost and millions more coming he can't get it in his head that it's deliberately planned and orchestrated by what he describes as a Stasi government. So, David, I'm going to throw it back to you because I've used the expression a government of occupation. But I think little John is demonstrating cognitive dissonance. He knows something really horrible is happening. He can describe some of it. He's using very powerful words. But then his brain goes back to saying, oh, well, it's all a bit of a cock up, really. These people don't know what they're doing. I would imagine there's a lot of journalists now in this um, this spin of 
they can't recognize the truth for what it's really showing them yes and it's 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 a very normal human reaction because uh, none of us lose faith in our in our country or at least our government all at once uh, most of us start off having a having some degree of trust in authority and it goes a little by little and eventually you start to see exactly what they are and the nature of the people in charge and the nature of the policies and the true intent of the policies as opposed to the claimed intent, which is something else entirely. Right? They're saying, well, we're just going to protect you. Well, it's not protecting us. We know it's not protecting us. It's, it's grossly disproportionate to any risk, if there indeed is any risk. The risks are normal. The, the, the actions are completely abnormal and destructive and murderous when it gets to the care homes. Yeah. He's, he, he's, he's getting there, but it will take a while to turn around and say, yes, this, this is deliberate because it can be nothing else. Thank you, thank you for that, because I think this is the key thing to put across to our audience, that this is the mindset we can assume of quite a lot of journalists. So they need all the help they can get. They need pushing, they need prodding, they need the facts and evidence to get them to really understand we're being attacked by our own government. Let's look at uh, this very brave care assistant, Shelley Tasker, just a little snippet of what she was brave enough to stand up in public and say. Assistant for the NHS. I don't need the uniform to prove that I work for them, but today I'm publicly resigning, okay? <laughs> sadly for the last time. I loved my job, okay, I absolutely loved it. Those of you that have been following what's going on, we've done talks, we've organised protests, I've had a lot of slack. I'm at the point now, it's all coming back to me. I've had an email from work last night asking me what's going on. People are reporting me and unfortunately I can't lie anymore. The email is asking what's going on. And how can I lie? I did something really bad. I took a screenshot on Friday that shows the figures of how many people are in Trinisk Hospital with COVID. And I shared it. Because this should be public information, okay? I can tell you that on Friday, in Trilis, there were three people in with COVID. No extra deaths, three. And that covers Trillisk, West Cornwall and Hale Hospital. The total deaths from these three hospitals in seven months is 76 people. That's about 10 people a month over the last seven months and we have locked down. Lots of people have to start speaking out. There's lots of doctors and nurses that have come forward. They're all on restrictive duties. They're all seeing solicitors, etc. Well, I've decided there's no point. I have gone against the rules within the NHS. I have shared confidential information that people need to see, okay? Well, really quite incredible um, clip there, uh, Mike. She goes on to say a lot more. We've just given her audience a taste of what she says, <coughs> excuse me. But she says she can't lie. She can't lie anymore. She knows she's living a lie within the NHS because she knows what the NHS is telling us about the situation is a lie. And she's resigned as a result of that. And she said, I'm going to tell the public the truth. So good on you, girl, is what I say. But let's get back into how this, is, this was reported. And we go back to the 5th of November. This is a quote from a, um, um, a Mail Online article which was all about her making that talk on the streets. And in it was this quote, a spokesperson for Royal, Royal Cornwall Hospital's NHS Trust told the Mail Online, we're in the middle of a once in a lifetime pandemic and it is unacceptable for anybody to spread lies which could be harmful to people's health, let alone from somebody in a respected position. So publicly, the Royal Cornwall's Hospital Trust um, said that effectively Shelley Tasker was lying about what she said. They also added another bit, and I think people recognise this. The public's 
incredible support for the NHS played a major role in helping us handle the first wave of coronavirus. And as we face a potential second wave, it's absolutely vital our staff and the public follow the latest public health guidance to help keep us all safe. Now, this is clearly guff. Uh, because what it is doing is it's back peddling the fear that we're in some amazing pandemic. But what Shelley was able to prove from being inside the system and taking screenshots of, of um, screens within the NHS, that there was virtually nobody with COVID in the whole of the Cornwall NHS system. In fact, three people in a serious position. So here's little John. And um, this is what he said. Some may dismiss Shelley, her tirade as the rantling, rantings of a woman driven to distraction by the pandemic. Then again, haven't we all gone slightly bonkers over the past eight months? Her figures may be purely anecdotal, but she doesn't appear to be far wide of the mark. This is Shelley saying, it's a lie. There's nobody in hospital. And uh, the article then continued. Yesterday, the chief executive of the Royal Cornwall's Hospital Trust confirmed that in the county's main hospital, there are just seven patients suffering from coronavirus, three of them in intensive care. And Little John correctly says, yet on the strength of that minuscule number of cases, a county of 565,000 people is being shut down. Businesses are again closing their doors and many will never reopen. Cornwall, like the rest of the country, is braced for a jobs bloodbath. So he put, he poked a stick into Shelley, which I didn't like, by accusing her of howling at the, her howling at the moon. Mm. But then he says, well, actually, the girl's statistics were correct. And what she's done is created a whole series of articles by the Daily Mail when they should have done the research for themselves in the first place. But we took the opportunity to talk to Cornwall NHS Trust this morning. We attempted to speak to Kate Shields, the chief executive, in order to ask them why, if Shelley Tasker was correct in the numbers that she mentioned publicly, uh, the trust would call her a liar. Well, I have to say that we were met with unbelievable rudeness. Mike, you were privy to that conversation because I had it on speaker. My goodness, what a rude, disgusting organisation. They did not want to talk to us when we were simply asking reasonable questions about the sheer hypocrisy in their public claim. And um, what did uh, a lady called Laura Mason, she was the head of media for Kate Shields, the chief executive. Of course, we couldn't talk to Kate Shields because she's been in wall-to-wall -wall uh, wall -wall meetings because of a corona a pandemic, which means that there are three or were three patients in the whole of Cornwall NHS Trust organisation. Uh, but they said uh, there is a pandemic in this country. I've said I'm not interested in the country. I want to talk about Cornwall. There is a pandemic in this country and I'm not prepared to have an argument with you about it. Bye. Bang. Down went the phone. So, David, I'll come back to you. Um, this is the sort of attitude we're getting from the authorities. And I have to say the aggression and the rudeness was just astonishing. So a care assistant resigns. She publicly tells the truth about the pitiful number of people with COVID-19 in Cornwall NHS Trust. And the trust calls her a liar. And then she's subsequently proven to be correct by, amongst others, the Daily Mail. And where does the aggression and the rudeness come from, right? That aggression comes from a feeling of impotence, right? So you have this enormous multi-billion pound organization, state funded um, uh, organization that's covering the whole county and is the recognized authority on all things health, re health related. One nurse stands up and says, they're not telling the truth. This is what I saw. Here's the data. I tweeted out a screenshot. I saw how many people we had uh, suffering from COVID. Right? They are lying to us. And they, they respond with aggression and insults. They are clearly in the wrong. 
a big, powerful, wealthy organisation like that, if the nurse had been lying, had been irrational in some way, would have swatted it away with a disdainful wave of the hand and by simply trotting out the actual figures. They wouldn't have called her a liar. They wouldn't have called her anything. They'd have just said, here are the true figures. This is how bad it is. Everyone should understand what we're up against. But they didn't. They didn't mention a single statistic because they can't, because she's right. Shelley Tasker is right. Absolutely. And I'm just going to say once again, what a tremendous lady to have the courage to resign on principle and then stand up and tell the public about it. So great, great on you. OK, David, uh, Telegraph here. Councils can demolish contaminated buildings under powers to stop second coronavirus wave. I, I didn't know whether to laugh or what to do when I saw this. Are, are, you better tell us about it. Well, the Telegraph reports, right, it's just that. Care homes, factories, offices and private homes could be bulldozed as a last resort if the virus starts to run out of control, whatever that means. Local authorities will be able to order the demolition of buildings at the centre of the coronavirus outbreaks under draconian powers to contain a potential second wave. Cars, buses, trains, aeroplanes could be destroyed, subject to the approval of magistrates. So magistrates, very low-level court official, that's all the protection we're going to get from the law. Now, what is this? This is a threat. Do what we tell you. If you're a business owner and you want to open your pub and you want to defy us, right, we'll, we'll give you some £10,000 fixed penalty notice notices and if you go all common law on us and and don't take that seriously and and don't roll over and show fear we will bulldoze your property that's what they're saying what is it that Gilad Atzman said we're all Palestinians now this is to frighten people this is to ensure compliance by making people afraid the communists did this in in Poland the Poles were starting to put out lots of books which were like economics textbooks and things about you know austrian economics and, and and free markets to show how a society could work without the state and they were running around warsaw on the cars distributing this illicit material and and the fines weren't deterring them so the the communist authorities said if we catch anyone with this this material in the car we'll crush the car and all of the people printing the material they all banded together and and put some money together so if anyone's car got crushed, they would get a new car. They called it Lloyds of Warsaw. This is, this is the same tactic that was used to intimidate the Poles who were learning about free market economics to stop the, the British learning the truth about the coronavirus. Don't dare question anything or we will destroy your stuff. Uh, and Watford Observer here saying that Hertfordshire County Council has the power to demolish COVID-contaminated buildings. Uh, where is this power allegedly springing from? Uh, well, it, many, many places, because there's, there's, there's layer upon layer upon layer of COVID legislation, and it keeps coming all of the time. So they're quoting multiple documents, multiple layers of, of legislation and of, of, of um, statutory instruments that are generating new powers the whole time. And new powers, it must be clearly admitted, that don't have any relationship to the nature of the problem we're seeing, even, even if you believe the government narrative about it. Right? The, the idea that, that you can't um, do anything other than demolish a building because the contamination is so severe is it, it, it's bizarre. It's just, it's just made up. But hey, they've got the power now. I wonder when that will crop up and be used in some inappropriate way. Um, I'm almost speechless, speechless at yeah. this point. I just wanted to say, um, you, you've mentioned Palestine there. Very interesting. A while ago, we, we had a number of police talking to us who said that they were watching the training going on. They were watching police going to Israel to be trained. And then we were having a bit of a general discussion about what was appearing in this country. And I remember that one of those uh, policemen said to me um, with a very dry look on his, his face, I think the intention is to create Palestine here in UK. 
Um, what was he talking about? Complete breakdown, chaos, brutal, person on person within the com uh, within the country. And I'm beginning to think that there's some logic in this. The aim is to create breakdown in the country. And if you dare warn that this is what the political agenda is, you're going to have your house uh, bulldozed on the excuse of COVID. And I'll just add to that, somebody in our, our uh, chat box has uh, reminded us that the polls uh, did a lot of work on the rise of evil within the political system. Uh, there was a really excellent book produced on political ponderology, ponderology being the study of evil, uh, by a Polish um, psychologist, uh, possibly a psychiatrist. I can't remember his name, but certainly the polls did a lot of work looking at political systems that were inherently evil. Um, and David, uh, you know, actual statistics on suicide are pretty hard to come by at the moment for some strange reason. Uh, but the Courier in Scotland reporting uh, heartbreaking escalation in Angus people contemplating suicide during pandemic. Yeah, new statistics uh, include a tally of 250 people in the last three months alone who have sought help after experiencing suicidal thoughts or trying to take their own lives. Support workers are saying loneliness, money worries and the impact of the pandemic on mental well-being are all major contributors to the worrying trend. Um, but they'd be given full backings, backing of the Angus councillors driving towards um, change to tackle the issue. And this is this is actually quite a sad aspect of this, this article because the people on the front line are raising the alarm. This is the number of people who are trying to commit suicide or thinking about it is going through the roof. And the councillors and the political leadership in the council are saying, well, we need change, really. We need we need earlier intervention, so more state intervention in private life, earlier intervention. No one's saying the obvious thing. We need to end the lockdown because it's killing people. They're not saying that because that's unsayable. SNP councillors, it would be career ending to say that. Well, really, we're getting to a point where all of, all of these career ending things, whether you're a councillor, a politician, a health professional, or many other things, we're going to have to start saying these unsayable things and telling the truth because as long as we play along with the the being cowed and being being cowering in a corner less we get into trouble with the authorities while we're doing that our country is being destroyed and we we need to speak out people the councillors the smp councillors in angus need to do what the nurse in cornwall did stand up and say the truth and if it costs you a job, then walk away. Yeah, I would just end the section by saying that I've had a number of emails in from people talking about the pressure all of this is placing on them. This one is just a section from one of the, the emails. Sorry, a section from one particular email. Dear Brian, I've worked as a support worker for 20 years more. I have stayed in one company which looks after adults with autism and other related issues. In the middle of October, I was asked to consent to having the flu vaccine and I withheld consent. This appeared to be tolerated by the company. I expressed my reasons for refusing to my manager. No res response was forthcoming from the company. Shortly after, we were instructed to consent to weekly PCR testing. I wrote again to my manager and submitted four pages of evidence referring to the misuse of the RT-PCR test as a diagnostic test and the manipulation of statistics that appears to be at the foundation of the government's justification for lockdowns and the second wave. And what the email went on to say was, and they're now back on my case that I've got to submit to to the rules and the implication is if I don't submit, I'm going to lose my job. So vicious brutality by the uh, by the uh, Westminster government in order to get this clearly fraudulent COVID agenda through. Yeah, and I just thought that little phrase instructed to consent was extremely telling. Yeah, um, that, you know, the, David was making a point about this earlier. I've made the point on previous programs. There's no need for mandatory mandatory vaccination if we're being instructed to consent by our employer or by our uh, by bodies that we are institutions yeah. that we have to engage with. Um, OK, well, look, uh, let's move on to this then. Uh, central bank digital currencies. We've been talking about this over the last uh, couple of weeks. 
Um, and uh, of course, uh, Christine Lagarde, as we mentioned a couple of times last week, uh, has been uh, running a consultation uh, with people in the Eurozone to decide whether they would be happy to use a digital euro. Um, well, this, uh, this uh, blog, well, it's a blog that belongs to an investment company called Double Line, has been publishing on this. Uh, bilateral digital currency payments and the twilight of the dollar. And I find this, uh, David, really interesting because, of course, uh, going back to one of the early episodes of uh, our Magic Money Tree podcast series, uh, we were asking the question, you know, what what is the ultimate outcome when, uh, as things are going financially, uh, uh, national, uh, national currencies are possibly going to collapse and it looks like they're building the infrastructure for uh, straight away. So uh, this uh, article here saying a secondary but important impact to be expected from the more or less imminent introduction of central bank digital currency by half a dozen or more central banks under coordination by the Bank for International Settlements is described by the port uh, in, in this article saying um, if launched central bank digital currencies will put at risk the independence of monetary policy and what little is left of fiscal discipline within their borders of circulation. Central banks are not stopped uh, at the replacement of money as we've known it. Uh, in conjunction with their developmental work on digital currencies proper, monetary authorities are devising a new structure for electronic payments to sweep aside the decades long framework for payment settlements, both domestic and international. The world's central banks and the Bank for International Settlements envision a network of multiple cross-border payment systems featuring direct bilateral exchanges in the world's different currencies. Such a regime would discard the decades-long uh, mediation through the world's reserve currency, the US dollars. Uh, and uh, they, it goes on to say policymakers continue to stare intently into the uncharted waters of central bank digital currencies and decentralization global payment systems. Uh, and David, uh, right at the heart of this then uh, is blockchain. And they, uh, well, Mark Carney was talking about this two or three years ago, very, very keen to get on board the blockchain bandwagon. Uh, they seem to have done that. They're developing their digital currencies. We'll look at which banks are actually involved in that in a second. Uh, but I just wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, it was very telling that uh, you could buy Bitcoin from a vending machine in the railway station next to the um, Bank of International Settlements in, in, in Switzerland. Uh, it was never uh, a technology that was uh, against the central banks or was going to undermine them. It was always a, it was always a technology that were going to they were going to relish. This is a this gives them the power to choose on a global scale the winners and the losers. There will be very few winners. There will be a great many losers. Uh, the overall world economy will be impoverished. But with this system, they'll always be able to show uh, some very um, interesting positive balances in any bank account they choose for any person they choose. And so they'll be able to buy with it great political power. It's a, a fabulous system if you want a one world tyranny. It's not a very fabulous system if you want uh, individual people standing on their own land, on their own resources, thinking independent and free thoughts. Uh, absolutely. Now, uh, of course, last week when we were talking about this, the term regime change came up and, and that's pretty much what you've been talking about there. Uh, so let's look at a slightly earlier article from the same organization from Double Line, the Pandora, Pandora's Box of Central Bank Digital Currencies was published at the start of October. Uh, and uh, they're saying such a mechanism could open veritable floodgates of liquidity into the consumer economy and accelerate the rate of inflation. Uh, while central banks have been trying without success to increase inflation for past decades, the temptation to put uh, central bank digital currencies into effect might be very strong among policymakers. However, uh, CBDCs uh, would not only inject liquidity into the economy, but would also accelerate the velocity of money. Uh, the one-two punch uh, would bring about far more inflation than central bankers bargain for. Um, so let's see who's actually uh, promoting this. This is from the Bank for International Settlements report on this. And oh look, we find Sir John Conliffe, who is uh, Conliffe, who's the Deputy Governor of the Bank of England, uh, who is promoting this on their little video. Um, so who's involved? Uh, the Bank of Canada, the European Central Bank, the Bank of Japan, uh, the Swedish Central Bank, uh, the Swiss, Swiss National Bank, the Bank of England, uh, the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve Bank, 
and the Bank for International Settlements. And uh, look, David, you've, you've made some comments about this. I'm going to add universal basic income into this because, of course, we're destroying we're destroying real economies here and uh, we're going to have to pay people somehow. And if anybody thinks this is cloud cuckoo land, uh, well, let's just have a look at this article from Ledger Insights. Congress pushes digital dollar in another COVID-19 stimulus bill. Now, this is from several months ago, um, but the article says yesterday the U.S. Congress published another COVID-19 bill, the Automatic Boost to Communities Act. Previous bills in March from Democrats in Congress and, and the Senate suggested distributing immediate cash relief using digital dollars. Uh, but this wasn't practical timing wise. Instead, the latest bill proposes that digital dollar wallets should be available by the start of 2021. The bill demands a universal basic income of $2,000 per month during the crisis. And after that, $1,000 per month for a year to be financed by the issue of $2 trillion in what's being described as coins. But that term coin uh, should be seen in the sense of Bitcoin. Um, so, uh, David, universal basic income is coming. I'm pretty sure that's what is uh, behind this. Yes, universal basic income will be universal basic slavery, UBS, handy acronym. Um, because with with your with the inability to survive without the state, uh, will come the inability to argue with the state without horrendous personal financial um, consequences. It's uh, it's all going in in into the uh, in the direction of centralized power, centralized control, and, and loss of liberty. And these are very dangerous, very dangerous moves. And you have to also remember that the total amount of wealth that will be generated on, under such a system will be centrally planned and will not work anything like as well as a free market system will work. And therefore, it will be accompanied with overall impoverishment, which will be ever increasing. And uh, that will mean that the universal basic income, when it arrives, will be a declining asset as the, as the richness of the economy declines and the freedom that you're left will be also a declining asset as we will be put to work um, somewhere appropriate. Uh, for you, Mike, I would suggest uh, shoveling manure on a collective farm in Caithness might be what the state chooses. Okay, thank you very See much. You I, I don't think you should be putting ideas in their head. But anyway, look, <laughs> here, here you go. Uh, now, at the weekend, you were at uh, a protest in Scotland. Yes, uh, with the very lovely people of Saving Scotland, uh, who uh, organised a protest and some, some, some speakers at, uh, at Holyrood in the, the park just outside Holyrood, the Scottish Parliament. Uh, we see here one of the one of the signs uh, from from a person in the crowd, which was very uh, appropriate. I thought COVID nineteen eighty four is being used for political purposes and public control. Spot on. So there's a lot of people who really understood the system and what was what it was doing to them. Uh, a lot of good speakers. We've got a few slides here showing some of the people speaking. Uh, this is Lise uh, McCressy, who came up from London, was talking about the uh, erosion of our of our political rights and the use of things like statutory instruments. Here we've got two Edinburgh business owners, Carol and Di, who gave wonderful talks about the, the, what it's like to be fighting this and trying to run a business and keep everything moving and keep all of the people employed and keep the business open against all of this COVID craziness. Uh, UK column um, contributor, uh, Dr. Bruce Scott here was talking about the nature of the, the, the psychological attack and the fact that the COVID regulations are, are akin to domestic abuse um, on, the, on the population as a whole. And uh, it's having huge effects on uh, the, the mental health of the population, as we we're discussing earlier, and, and we could see in Angus. And uh, finally, there, there was me. Uh, I was talking about uh, well, the subject of, of my talk was fear not, and it was looking at the the, the, the spiritual and, and, and faith aspects of of the crisis. Um, that uh, talk is up on uh, the Northern Exposure website, and it will be linked into the UK Column website just as, just as soon as we're finished here. Uh, it's about a 15-minute talk. I hope people will catch that and let us know what they think.
Uh, well, I'm a number of people, on... sorry, David, a number of people in the chat box have already seen it and uh, lots of good feedback on that so far. That's, that's lovely to hear. And um, uh, there's also uh, a second new video up oh. on Northern Exposure. Yep. Okay. Go uh, ahead. Which I'm maybe I'm maybe getting out of, out of sequence. Which is which is David Curtin, who's a member of the London Assembly and who speaks bravely about things which are real to um, Mr. Khan and his uh, coterie in London. And this uh, this this interview covers uh, such things as cultural Marxism and the nature of the attack on our society and culture, and. Uh, the means of fighting back by telling the truth and not being prepared to sell out. Um, okay, now, uh, if you like what the UK column does, we're already towards the end of the programme, so we're quite late to be putting this up. But if you like what the column does and you'd like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org uh, forward slash community and there are options to help us out there. That would be very much appreciated. Um, and, uh, well, I just want to remind everybody once again of David Ellis's uh, most recent Ellis report um, here because he was, it's entitled Transformation Totalitarianism. Uh, and he has, uh, he's covering a speech uh, given by, uh, um, I think I'm running ahead here, but, uh, but anyway, I've, it's, it's covering a speech given by General Sir Nick Carter. I will be talking about General Sir Nick Carter again in one second, but just before we do that, uh, David, uh, not another beeping scanner? Yes, well, it transpires that we, we must be afraid uh, and COVID's not quite doing enough uh, to make us afraid. So we're now having full body scanners introduced into, into shopping centres in Glasgow. This is the Brayhead Centre in Glasgow, a very large modern shopping centre. And uh, the owners of this site um, into Brayhead are introducing full body scanners to get into uh, to the facility and the explanation is well there has been an increase in the terror threat level uh, there's been an attack in um, in france and there's been an attack in austria and therefore we're having to have our bodies scanned to go to shop in brayhead in glasgow so uh quite worrying it's to put in more fear into the people i suspect here we see the Gazette uh, reporting on this, uh, a quote from Peter Bagley, the, 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 the uh, centre director, quote, following the UK terror threat level being raised earlier this week after incidents in France and Austria, we've introduced two walkthrough security scanners at one of the entrances to the centre. So that's what awaits you in Brayhead now. Uh, but they also show us that there's no actual um, intelligence to suggest there's any threat to that particular centre. It's just a general increase in uh, the security level justified to keep us safe isn't everything yeah well yeah safety is the key uh well let's just uh, come on to nick carter here here he is he was speaking to sky news over the weekend to sophie ridge uh, and uh, he had this to say i think we're living at a moment in time where the world is very uh, very uncertain and anxious place uh, and of course the dynamic of global competition is a feature of our lives as well. And I just wanted to really highlight what he means by that. And this is uh, explained in, in David Ellis's uh, uh, report for anybody that hasn't seen it yet, uh, because this is really what we're talking about here. Uh, this part of Africa, the Sahel, uh, and in the Sahel, we have uh, China, Russia on one side, we have the EU, the UK, the USA on another. Uh, and so Carter went on to say, I think the real risk we have with quite a lot of the regional conflicts that are going on at the moment, as you can see, an, ex an escalation and leading to miscalculation. Uh, and uh, he said, if you look at back at the last century, both before both world wars, I think it was arguable that there was an escalation which led to a miscalculation, which ultimately led to war at a scale that we would hopefully never see again. Um, but David, uh, we don't have to worry because he was asked about defence cuts uh, and he was asked about uh, whether uh, we would see, you know, lots and lots of uh, military personnel losing their jobs. He said, no, no, don't worry about it. We're just reorganizing things. We might even see uh, an army of 130,000 or 120,000 people with 30,000 robots. Um, so that's what we got to look forward to there. Well, there's nothing like 30,000 killer robots to make you feel safe in your bed at night. And um, hopefully some of the robots will also be able to uh, do COVID tests on children because that would be uh, efficient.
Yes, it would be. Uh, sorry? I do you, Trump. I think there'll be a lot of people just want a little bit of feedback that we are still on the, uh, on the, on the case of uh, elections in America. Uh, well, OK, we, we can very quickly run through this then. Uh, let's start off with Dominic Raab's response. My congratulations to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris on winning the election uh, with more votes than any other candidate in, his, in US history. Well, of course, they would have more votes than any candidate in US history if, most, if, if quite a number of them are fake. But anyway, uh, the, the congratulations coming from all and sundry in the media, in, the, uh, in various uh, political circles and so on, uh, when in fact the deal isn't done yet. Uh, and this is even acknowledged by the, the Republican or the, sorry, by the Democrats or at least people uh, associated with them. So this uh, headline in this article from the Washington Post uh, on Sunday saying, we knew Trump would, would cry fraud, that's why it failed. Well, it hasn't failed yet, as we'll come on to in a second. Uh, but this is uh, the author of that report, Rosa Brooks, who's a Georgetown University Law Center uh, professor. Uh, she's saying we're not out of the woods yet. Uh, this is with respect to whether Biden has actually won or not. There are still court cases going on. And if anybody's been, uh, has seen any of uh, Rudy Giuliani's uh, uh, video clips, it's absolutely clear they intend to pursue this uh, in the press. Uh, so here's the telegraph then. Trump supporters chant stop the steal as they refuse to accept election results. So they're just refusing to accept it. Stop the steal is being chanted. There are uh, convoys and, and uh, public demonstrations, public meetings going on over this. Hashtag stop the steal seems to be the hashtag that's, that's uh, being used. Uh, like their candidate, many Trump supporters have refused to concede the race and believe they've been, uh, sorry, believe they have been strong, and it says string grounds there. That's a bit of a typo. It's supposed to be strong grounds for a legal challenge. Well, of course there is. Uh, and uh, well, this is uh, uh, Trey Trainer, who is the Federal Electoral Commission chairman, saying uh, there's a significant evidence related to fraud being gathered in Pennsylvania and uh, will become part of, of a Supreme Court case under the 14th Amendment. Uh, I do believe that there's voter fraud taking place in these places. Otherwise, they would allow observers to go in. And this, of course, has been uh, the, the main complaint uh, that there was no observation going on of the count. Uh, there's plenty of evidence appearing now, video evidence and so on, of strange activities within those counts uh, and apparently people filling in ballots and so on. Uh, <laughs> many, many examples of this now, David. Uh, and uh, But it seems that the rest of the world, by that I mean the mainstream press and the rest of uh, global politics, is uh, not too concerned about whether the rules were followed. I mean, we might be criticizing, criticizing election results in Belarus and in North Korea and other places, but when it's, when it's our candidate in, in, in the United States, then we don't need to worry whether the election rules were followed or not. And this is the point that the, the, the Trump supporters and, and the indeed members of Trump's family is making, that what, what's up for grabs here is whether or not America is a third world country. Is it a tin pot dictatorship? Is it a Venezuela or is it in fact a great nation? And it's a it's a it's a critical point. And the the jury is out. We will see what will happen. Uh, the idea that Biden, who couldn't get people to turn up to any of any of his events, um, who is having to pay people. I saw one lad got four hundred dollars for four hours being the crowd celebrating the win. He's having to pay people to go out and look happy uh, that uh, Biden and Harris have won. Um, is has got more votes than Obama, more votes than any president before. Um, it doesn't seem credible. Nor does the graph, when you look at the graph from some of the voting in the states, where in the middle of the night, suddenly the Democrat vote shot up on its own for reasons which I, I can't comprehend any um, satisfactory explanation for. There was just suddenly a huge lump of votes that, that swapped the lead over um, and the votes all went, virtually all went to Biden. It just didn't look kosher, um, not at all. So I think there are questions to to uh, examine. I think it does need a proper investigation. I'm not confident that it will get one. Uh, but we will see, and it will certainly run on to the middle of December, I suspect, and the, uh, the actual um, electoral conference um, 
to to cast the formal votes. Um, and we'll just leave with uh, with this thought, David. Yes, um, those who spent the last four years convinced there was election interference are now saying there's no way that an election could be rigged. Yes, there are many inconsistencies and contradictions in American politics, but none so stark as the ones one we've seen in the last week. Yes. Okay, well, we, can we just say to uh, viewers and listeners, as always, thank you very much for joining us. I'm just going to say a special thank you to the um, US viewers connected with Cornwall. I think you'll know who you are. Uh, but thank you very much for that support. And thank you also for the support that we're getting from a whole range of other countries since we've been going during the COVID lockup period, it's clear that we've got many more people from overseas listening in to see what's really happening in UK. So thank you for that. And a final point, uh, quite often the comment comes in, can we please give some uplifting information to help you all feel happier? Well, this is a difficult one for us because we're busy pumping out facts as to what's really happening in order to wake up people who really don't understand anything. But if you wanna feel happier, uh, we would say do something, um, get those emails off, challenge your local MP, or ring up a local NHS authority and challenge them as to what they're doing. Be polite, be reasonable, uh, be accurate in what you say and ask. But you will find that by doing something, it changes your whole look at the world. So don't sit there taking it, do something and you'll find that your spirits are uplifted. We'll leave it there. Thanks very much for joining us. Bye-bye.